This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. How's it going? All right. How's your morning? Well, I'm just now drinking my coffee because <laughs> I forgot we were doing a podcast today. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Hey, everybody. This is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Bill Face. How was your weekend, man? Uh, it was good. It was good. Not much happened. Cousin's birthday party on Saturday. That got messy. Was there a bounce house? No. No. Oh. Usually when someone says that a birthday party got messy, I assume that alcohol and a bounce house was involved. That would have been way more fun. Um, There's no. always that one guy that turns <laughs> off the... The compressor <laughs> so it starts to deflate <laughs> yeah no it was just uh down in connecticut so it was like an hour and 40 minute drive down there and then at a certain point i was like i'm not driving back tonight <laughs> that's a horrible idea so i just ended up crashing on the couch and like slept you know horribly my throat's still messed up i think from like sleeping weird and so snoring real bad and like tearing up my back my, uh, horrible but i made it so that was good. cool what's kind of what's connecticut like i've never been boring really bad like <laughs> i i don't like connecticut at all i lived there a bit when i was a kid but i don't feel like anyone wants to live in connecticut i feel like people like that live in connecticut they want to live in boston or new york but just can't for whatever reason are there any major cities there, or is it mostly suburbs? Hartford. Yeah, Hartford's huge. Okay. Is that the capital? New, New Haven. I don't know. New Haven is <laughs> <laughs> New Haven's big, too. Um, that's where Yale is. So, Got it. Casinos, yeah. I guess there's casinos there, too. Hmm. Like on reservations? So that's where Mohican Sun is, right? In Foxwoods? That sounds like a reservation. Mohican Suns. Sun, singular. Like S-U-N, not S-O-N. Right. What about you? Yes. I went down to Santa Barbara for the weekend. Oh, yeah. Drove, drove down early Friday morning. Came back up last night. It's about a five, six-hour drive down the coast of California. Yeah. It's nice there. Yeah. It's warm. It's this tiny little um, town near the sea but relatively isolated because it's north of the mountains of L.A., so it's separated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like an hour and a half drive out of L.A., mm-hmm. and there's not much to the north. You know, except for San Francisco, five hours away. It's kind of weird. It, it seems like everyone knows everyone Yeah, down there. Hmm. It's really laid back. All older gentlemen look like Oscar Bluth. Like they have <laughs> that hat, like long gray hair. Yeah, awesome. Cargo pants. It's a thing. <laughs> Had some good Mexican food for a change. Yeah, I bet. Just can't get that up here. No. We had barbecue at my cousin's birthday party. And he was fine. You know, just kind of mediocre. You know, all my family that are from up here were like, "This is so good!" Oh my god! And I'm like, eh. "Like they're Being like, a snob here, have it. some, have some brisket." I was like, "That's not brisket. Like, <laughs> that doesn't even look anything like brisket." You know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. If you call that a brisket, yeah. you pull out your emergency brisket. You're like, "Now that's a brisket." <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I see you played knife and spoonie before. <laughs> Uh, so I'm in, um, auto layout hell right now. Scroll views. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So here's what I'm trying to do, and maybe you can either talk me out of doing this entirely, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which would be good. I'm good at that. Or we can agree on, because I do think this is a good, a good idea, but like in terms of an abstraction, but this scroll view thing is, I, I just, every time I get into scroll views and auto layout, I, my brain just shuts down and it's just like, I don't know, man. So here's what I'm trying to do. So I have a, in, in this app, I have a, a user profile. Right, and so it's accessible through a tab bar controller. So they click on the tab bar controller, and it loads the user profile for that for the current user. But there's also obviously there's that chance of like, well, if you tap on any user, we want to pull up a user profile as well. So the way I have this set up is I have a I have a profile view controller, and that's being set up in a storyboard right now, and then all it has is a view model property like a uh, user profile view model the user profile view model takes a user so i can create a view, the view model doesn't care about who the user is it just transforms the user's attributes into the display version for the user profile and the profile controller doesn't care who the user is it just basically unpacks this the you know like looks at the view model and then assigns all the labels and stuff and so what i've done is in order to make this totally reusable, because I want to be able to reuse the same thing, whether or not it's the current user or a different user, like it shouldn't matter. So when I set up the tab bar controller, I'm creating the view model with the current user and passing that in. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to pull right now all that logic, all the view logic, not all the view logic, but the view, all the design, everything's being done in a storyboard right now, which is great and i'm a big i'm a fan of storyboards but in this case it causes a problem because if i want to instantiate that same view from outside of the storyboard you know what i'm saying like if i'm in if i'm in this you know main feed of things and i want to tap into a user's profile then i'd have to unpack that whole storyboard load it and then conf and break the break the segues like turn off buttons and stuff so that like you can't get to for example the user settings page you know that shouldn't be visible from mm -hmm. any user profile so i'd have to like turn that stuff off and plus i have to load the entire user profile storyboard which has all this settings stuff in it you know so my idea is okay well let me pull out that user profile view you know let me pull up the user profile view. I'll have a very, very simple class backing it and a very, very simple nib. And so I'll, I'll do all the design in a nib. I'll load it inside the user prof, the profile view controller. Inside the view controller, I just override load view and set the view by, I have a category to load a class through a nib. So it's just like user profile view load nib or view from nib, I think is what I it's named and then from that point on that view controller is it doesn't care like i can now create that view controller from outside of a like i can just set that class in any other flow right so i can set that class up so that when you you know inside like uh the main feed or whatever you click into an item and then you tap onto a user i can then just instantiate a profile view controller hand it the view model for the user that you tapped on and it'll be fine. It's not tied at all to the current user. Right. That makes sense, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. 
So the pro- the problem is that all of a sudden I'm like I set it up as just a UI view because it's very very simple. Like it's just got name, a couple metadata, like a summary that's expandable, so it could be any amount of text, and then like a couple cells basically i'm kind of faking a static table view because i so that's the thing is i i initially did this as a static table view inside the nib but then or sorry inside the storyboard but then when i pulled it out into a nib all of a sudden i can't use static table views anymore so i was like crap so i just set it up as a ui view and that worked great that actually works better because table view headers don't do well with auto layout like with different sized heights so like i had the label set up to be zero lines and then i didn't set a height constraint on that the table view header but it just wouldn't wrap because it won't push that table it won't make that table view header header bigger than you set it in the nib or in the storyboard Mm -hmm. so by moving it to a view i actually it kind of fixed this auto layout problem i was having where now that that label will happily wrap and it'll happily push that top view down which will happily push everything else down immediately realized that that was not going to work out very well because if you have dynamic height then all of a sudden those two fake table view cells are pushed all the way off screen on a four inch device so if you pull it up on a three and a half inch device it's just going to be miserable so then it's like uh, crap i have to use a scroll view for this but then immediately like I'm running into content size issues. And and part of the problem is that I've just avoided this for so long. Like I just avoided screwing around with this as much as possible. But like the you know, there's a warning about an ambiguous content height in the scroll view. You know what I mean? Because it like the scroll view is just like I know you told me my constraints are like zeroed out with my super view, but I don't know what that means for content size. Like what's the content height of this thing? Right. So I got to figure that out. But then also, like I set, you know, that header thing, right, where the user's information is, I set it to be zero, zero, zero. So zero top, zero left, zero right constraints. But then when I like say update frames, it like squeezes it down so that it's just under 100 points wide. So it's like this little bitty box and everything does that. Everything inside this content, this storyboard is acting the same. And I'm not sure, I feel like I have to set the, the width but theoretically, the width is the content width is supposed to be the one thing that it's like it's cool. Like I'll assume that the content width is the frame width, but it's not doing that. So you're not manually giving the scroll view a content size, though. No. So it doesn't really know what right means because in a scroll view, the bounds are not necessarily the same as the frame, which in most views, most of the time, that is the case. So it sounds like what's happening here is that your subview tree is saying. This should go to the right edge, but the scroll view is thinking, okay, well, what's right edge? Right. You know, it's a window into this content. So am I understanding correctly that this view that you were previously loading with load view, you've basically taken its subview tree and just put it inside a scroll view instead? You've replaced that base view with a scroll view. No, the base view is still a view. But, okay, so but then you view. just... And then I have a scroll view inside that, which is is just pinned to the edges. So I can give the con- the scroll view something to grab onto. So the scroll okay. view does know where its right bound is, but you can't – I'm not sure how to set – So the scroll view knows in its super view's coordinate space, but within its own coordinate space, exactly. the, right, the right edge is ambiguous. So there is a technical note in the developer library, technical note TN2154, if you want to Google that. 
Um, what you're kind of explaining sounds like the mixed approach here. Yeah, I and think I actually have that technical note open. So I think what you should do is you should consider making the scroll view. So the view controller's direct view oh, is the scroll view. Those, and then put everything then inside a view. Put everything inside a content view and put that inside mm. of the scroll view. And the, the important bit there is to make sure that the content view, which is what I'm, I'm going to call it from here on out, does not translate its auto resizing mask into, into constraints. Which is off by default if you're Correct. doing auto layout in the nib. Yeah, so let the scroll view treat the content view like it would under springs and struts. But everything under the content view is laid out with. And, and, so, then, that, and so then I give that like a, a width. Well, then once your constraints are set up, you should be able to call system layout size fitting size on the content view mm -hmm. and get a content size that you hand back to the scroll view. Now the scroll view knows that given all the constraints in the content view, this is how big this thing is going to be when it's laid out. Mm -hmm. And then you just tell the scroll view, here's how big my content is and everything should be okay. That makes sense. Make sure you pass the UI layout fitting compressed size there. Right. Obviously. So, but then how does that work in Interface Builder, in the nib? That still doesn't get me... Is there, well, is there a content height thing that I can set and then have it throw away? Or do I just set a height? On what? On the scroll view. You know what I mean? I can't figure out how to get rid of... I, I, this is Googleable. I know it is. UI scroll view. I think you would, you would unarchive the nib. Instead of in load view returning that view, put a scroll view in there. Then your content view has already been and been unarchived, so all the constraints should be set up. Yeah, I'm I'm more talking about like inside. How do I get rid of this stupid warning inside Interface Builder, which I'm looking at right now? Um, you know what I mean. So like when I set this up, if I don't tell Interface Builder what the content height is, then it it's going to throw a warning for the content size. So it literally says scrollable content size ambiguity. Scroll view has ambiguous scrollable content height. And I don't see a property for that. Well, you might just use a placeholder constraint that's, just to, that's, just that's to what give I it want. a height. Yeah, that's what I want to do, but I can't. It's not the frame height doesn't work. I have to set the content view height. Do you get what I'm saying? So the, so the ambiguity here isn't the height of the scroll view's frame. It's the height of the scroll view's content size. I think I wouldn't have the scroll view in Interface Builder. I would use this nib simply for the content view and then have the view controller always create a scroll view that that content view will get put in at runtime in load view. Interesting. I see. I see. If you look at the second approach on this on this technical note, I think basically what it's telling you here is that if you did want to use the pure sort of approach, you would have to, well, no, that, that won't work if the scroll view is the view controller's view because it doesn't really have a, a public super view that we can work with. Well, I could just add it as a sub view and pin it. So have it be view controller view, scroll view, content view. Yeah, which feels ugly, but... Right. And then I believe that your content view would have constraints to the view. So it would, it would jump over the scroll view hmm. and say, like, here's kind of where I should be positioned. Like, ignore, forget that the scroll view exists. You think of it just as a window into your content. Lay it out as if you're expecting it to overflow that main view's bounds. And then the scroll view should just do the right thing. Hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a little bit more sense now. 
I totally get the with thing now. Like, that actually makes a lot more sense. The height thing is the same thing. Right. No, I mean, that, that always made sense to me. I just was trying to figure out, like, why it was crushing this down to a weird width. But that makes sense. I've had decent success with scroll views and auto layout, not in nibs. Right. And I typically use nibs, but trying to do that in interface builder, I've never had good luck. Yeah, I think this is gonna make I think this is gonna make it easier because it'll be nice to design. It'll be easy design, right? Because I can just have this view as whatever height it needs to be. And I actually think I like the idea of just setting it as setting the scroll view as the view and then just setting the content size directly. It feels like it's going to be less code and cleaner. Mm-hmm. You know, you may have to wait until you did load gets called on the view controller to actually set the content size. I don't think mm. doing it in load view will work right away because it might complain about constraints not being evaluated yet. Mm. Because if you haven't started setting content into that content view, then those constraints will change. Yeah, no, it has. It definitely has to be on view did load after I configure the view with the view model. Mm-hmm. Then I have to update the content size. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense. It's going to be nice to have this pulled out <laughs> when I do. Like as I was as I was doing it when I got in this morning, as I was kind of like poking at it, I can see that it's going to be a nice a nice abstraction because I, at first I had basically a static table view controller and all of the view properties like the IB outlets were pointed into the view controller. I felt really really weird setting those properties directly from the view controller as opposed to in the view itself. This makes much more sense where I just on view did load inside the view controller, I'm setting the view model on the view controller when I create it. And then on view did load, I just pass that view model back into the view. The cool thing is that then I can in the view controller, I could theoretically, and I got to figure out how to do this because I have like a method to refresh the current user in the cache, right? So we're caching the current user object. And I have a method to do that and it takes a completion block. And so what I'd want to do is refresh the current user and then reset everything on the view with the new users. Yeah, I would just tear down my old view model and create a new instance. Exactly, exactly. I just had to figure out how to do that inside this context of like that the view controller doesn't might not necessarily know what user it's holding on to. Why should it care? Because if if I just get so for example, if we just do this on viewed load, right? If on viewed load, I just kick off a refresh of the current user object, and then I get back a current u- but then I proceed with the cache version, right? So that's the that's the whole way this is supposed to work in my head anyway. Is that something can say refresh the cache? And then here's this block to perform, and then inside that block, it returns a user object, and then whether or not that user is updated, whether or not that user has been changed from the from the version that was already on disk, right? It just looks at like the updated at, and makes sure that the you know whatever. But so yeah. so you get back a block that has a user, and whether or not the user was updated, and then you can decide then whether or not to refresh the view. But if we're doing that from the view controller. And the view controller doesn't know that the view model is holding on to, like, if I'm the current user and I tap into your profile, I need to figure out how to handle that. I need to figure out how to handle, like, I don't need to refresh the cache then, you know. 
So, like, obviously, this is a simple, simple, quote unquote, problem to solve, right? Just put a conditional in there, and you know, if it's the current user, then kick off this re- refresh. If it isn't, don't worry about it. But I'm really trying to put as little logic as possible in my controllers and zero logic in my models or in my views. That's like the whole goal of, of this entire app for me is minimizing all the logic in the view controllers as much as possible and minimize and there being zero. If I'm ever doing a conditional inside of view, I'm taking it out and putting it in the view model instead because I can test that. Is there a way for the view model to know that it's holding on to the current user or just any old user? I thought about that. I thought I think theoretically I could I could either set a bit on it that when I create one with a current user, I just say, you know, it's bit, yeah, but see that's that seems that feels weird. So the only yeah. other way to do it, the only other way to do it is I create the user model. I create the view model with that with the current user and then inside the view model it says is my user the current user? Um, I thought about that too. This all seems a little hairy. I think what I would probably do is I'd end up with two initializers on that view model. One is init with current user. One is just init with user. Yeah. And in that special initializer for current user, it does flip a bit that is public that says requires update. And doesn't and then, take a, does not take a parameter. Would you do that? Oh, like init for current user. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And then it... I could I think go I either way. I could go I, either way on this. You know what I mean? Like, I think it, it's nicer to not have that, you know. So right now, the current user is saved on this s- user session singleton that's kind of floating around there. It isn't, isn't actually a singleton. It's kind of a lightweight wrapper around some keychain and defaults access and disk access and that kind of stuff. And so it would be really nice to not have that session leak into this model at all and to have it just be like, init with current user, pass in the user, and then internally the view model just flips its own bit and says, is current user. Yeah, you were just talking about the user session, and that's a really nice delineation between users and like the current user. Is right. you bubble up a level and you say, well, if I have a user session, I know that this is the current user. So that made me wonder, do you initialize it with the user session? And that's how you know it's a current user. But then I'm starting to think, maybe you just need two view models that conform to a protocol. It's like a profile display protocol. Mm. And then you just create the right one. I think I like that best. You would just create the correct one based on like, okay, this takes a user session or whatever. And this one takes a user. But they both conform to the same protocol and they both say, hey, here's the name. Here's the avatar. Hmm. Here's the profile description. I think I just sold myself on that. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. So then there would be a current user profile view model and then a user profile view model. And the external interface is exactly the same but the only it's, difference yeah. is that it the only my so my only problem with that is that there's going to be a lot of duplicated logic a lot because 90% of that is exactly the same the only difference is, you know the only difference in those is that one needs to kick off this so subclass i'm trying to stay or, away from subclasses too but or you always create a user view model and then with that, you can decorate it as a current user view model. You initialize this other class with it, and it just kind of decorates it and tweaks its properties to say, yeah, so, this yeah. thing requires update, and you should show the settings button here. 
Well, so that, like that that's not an issue anymore because I've pulled that out of the out of the storyboard. So the settings button is being set up in the storyboard itself. So that the view controller doesn't even and it's set up with a segue. The view controller doesn't even know that that settings button is there. The only thing that knows about that is the storyboard, which is actually kind of nice. There's no IB outlet, there's no IB action. All I'm doing is in the storyboard on the profile view controller, at least this instance, the profile view controller, I'm also giving it a nav bar button, a bar button item. And I'm setting it up right and I'm, I'm drawing a segue between that and the settings. So if I ever initialize this class from outside of the storyboard, that's already gone. I see. Not there. You see what I I'm saying? Because, because the view controller doesn't actually know about it. Mm-hmm. And the view has been split out now into this other thing that really doesn't know about it, right? That actually might be nice, though, because here's the thing. If we pull it out into a either an interface or a decorator, then we could have – let's just say subclass for right now. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to want to use a subclass because I'm hesitant to use any subclasses at this point. But say we have a user, user profile view model and a current user profile view model. Now, actually, this could work because now they both have a set, uh, let's call it refresh user or fetch user or update user or something like that. So they have a method, and that method has a, has a callback on it. And for any user, what it does is it actually goes and fetches that user object because we may not have it, right? If, I, if I'm the current user and I'm tapping into your profile, then we probably don't have your profile information, sitting around you know what i mean all we have is like maybe a stubbed user with an id so something that came back in like a a post response exactly exactly and it may not be the full user but so now i have but i had i do have a stubbed user and i have an id but so then what i could do is this this user profile view model will go out and actually fetch yours and then call the callback when it completes but with the current user it calls that callback immediately mm-hmm. and then tries to update it. And mm-hmm. if the update succeeds, it checks to see if the user has changed, right? It just checks that bit that's being flipped and says, did the user actually update? And if it did, then it calls that callback again. Yep. That sounds perfectly reasonable to me. That's kind of nice. And then now, again, now the view controller isn't doing anything different. It's calling the same interface. There's no logic there. There's just kind of this linear code path. The only thing that may be weird is calling that callback twice. That's the only thing. But, but I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily. If you're strictly just redrawing the view in that mm-hmm. callback and that blocking, you're not doing anything crazy. All, all I'm going to do is either construct a new view model or just. The view, maybe the view model updates its internal thing and passes itself back through. So then the, I don't know, I got to figure out how to do that. Or maybe it doesn't do anything. And I just, like it doesn't have, it doesn't pass any parameters back. So the view model refreshes its internal representation of a user. And then inside the view controller's callback, it's it's like configure re- configure view or something like that. And then all that's doing is doing self.view configure with view model, passing the view model along. Just reevaluate yeah. everything on the view model. Yeah, literally, yep. yeah. Throw like a spinner up before and a spinner after. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. like that. That sounds right to me. That's not bad. I'm glad we talked this out. Me too. <laughs> Mostly because I'm joining this project on Monday and I, I don't want it to be a mess. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so you're really afraid of that? 
know. <laughs> but this sounds really nice. Yeah, I've been going like full bore with the view model stuff on this one. And I really like it. I really like how much I can test. And the thing is, like, a lot of the tests are kind of dumb. A lot of the tests are relatively stupid. It's like, it's like when you ask for the user's full name, you should get back the user's full name. You know, it's like, it's a, it feels like a silly test. But I feel like more than more than anything, what I'm doing is I'm using the specs to describe how the view should look. You know, because we don't have a full name attribute on the user. We have a first name. We have a last name. I could move that down into the user, and that'd be fine. But right now, I'm just building that string in the view model. And so I'm kind of describing that this this is how this should look. But I'm describing what the views should look like in the specs without worrying about their visual representation on screen. You know what I mean? Yep. So I'm not worried about the design. Like, I, I actually, I really don't think it's worth testing design. You know, there's like there's stuff out there like Facebook has a snapshot test case thing, which is where every view you have a literally a, a ping that's like, here's what this should look like. And then every time the test runs, it checks that image against the current image. And if you're outside of some threshold, the test fails, <laughs> you know. So if you move a button around, then the test fails. And that's fine, I guess. It just seems so fragile to me, and it doesn't seem like it's necessarily worth testing at that level. Yeah, you're, you're kind of handling that, though, because any, any variable constraint constants are also being vended by your view model based on the state, so, right? Yeah, so, so the only thing, the things that aren't tested are, like, is that string ever actually making it to the screen? That's not being tested, because I'm not testing the view. But it gets back to like, you know, when we were talking about testing a few weeks ago, the idea of like, well, I'm not an idiot. So it, I feel like if I can keep my views, my views at this point are a nib or a storyboard, but you know, whatever, there's some visual representation of what the view should look like. Um, and I'm not going to screw up frame math when I can just click and drag stuff around. You know what I mean? And interface builders super accurate at this point in terms of like visualizing the constraints and showing me what the constraints are going to look like. So I'm very, very confident that in interface builder doing that. And then the code backing any view is literally like one method where it just goes, this is this, and this is this, and this is this, and this is this, right? It just says like, this text is this property on the view model. This text is this property on the view model. I guess there's a chance there that I put the wrong property on the wrong label, but you know, the logic is sound. That's just not something that I, I'm necessarily worried about. You know, I'm more worried that like the way I decide to represent, oh, here's a good one. So there was this one property that was all lowercase or I, I was just not doing anything to it. And then we changed it and the designer decided it should be all uppercase. So then I just added that to the spec. I just changed the spec. So I just said that the spec says it should return this property, but uppercased. And so then I just change the spec, see the spec fail, add uppercase string to the, you know, the method that returns that, bam, you know, fix it. And now I have like a tested, like, if you screw it up at really the design level, if you screw it up at the design level that, you know, you remove the uppercase, then that test is going to fail. So you have to have a reason to change that, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm liking it. 
been really happy with this so far. Remember last week when we were joking? We were talking about letting computers spin down, you know, to let them empty out, as you said. It turns out that's not completely crazy. <laughs> I, we got I can't in, believe that's real. <laughs> we got some feedback from Samuel Goodwin, who <laughs> sent us an email. And the subject is letting it sit. <laughs> and I first saw that. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And it says, hey, guys, for the record, letting electronics sit without power gives capacitors a chance to drain. In older computers, you could actually hear capacitors discharging after you turned them off. I think I kind of remember that. So that's that's exactly what I was talking about. I just thought that that was bullshit. <laughs> that's that was my understanding of why you needed to do that. I just thought that that was bullshit. Like I thought that that was not an actual thing, at least not in modern computers. You know, mm-hmm. um, I I totally believe you, Samuel. I, oh no, I do you. too. I yeah. I don't know what a capacitor is, <laughs> and I don't know what's draining out of it. Juice. I'm assuming. That's that sounds right. <laughs> I think we should have had Tony in on this. Yeah, he'd probably know. Electrical engineering. Yeah. Bits bits or bytes, maybe. Oh, I know the difference there. Do you? Yeah. Uppercase versus lowercase b? <laughs> Is no, that there's eight there's eight bits in a byte. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I guess we stand corrected. That is mm-hmm. some total bullshit when they tell me to unplug my router and let it sit for twenty seconds. <laughs> sure. But my Apple TV? Does my Apple TV really have capacitors in it i think everything Maybe. has capacitors see i don't know what they are well, they're the little i think they're the little round things on a motherboard like the little ones that have like a they look like a little battery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no clue huh yep no no, no i know what you're <laughs> okay, talking okay. about i know what you're talking i'm about. pretty sure that those are capacitors um looks like you have a meeting to get to i see people walking by by me no by me oh okay i see your team walking into a conference room oh yeah yeah, let's wrap this one up. Cool. So show notes for this episode are going to be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash 44. And as always, we want to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on app.net or Twitter. Just add buildphase. You know what? I'm, not, I'm going to stop saying app.net. Yeah. Aren't there, aren't there like 12 people yeah, that like re-registered their account? I don't just, know. I haven't been there in months. <laughs> just forget about app.net. Yeah. Just Twitter at buildphase. Also, ratings and reviews on iTunes are great. Thanks. All right. See you. All right. Later, man.